is my shepherd I shall not want he makes me lie down in green pastures he leads me beside still waters he restores my soul he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death I will I will fear no evil for you are with me your rod and your staff they comfort me you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies you anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Thanks, God. All right, good morning. Again, all right, sounds like I'm on, all right. So, like Scott said, happy Father's Day. Glad to be with you guys. And super excited to actually see people other than Jake, Jared, and Lawrence when I'm preaching. Not that, I mean, I love those guys, but it's, it's great to see more of you, all right? And just, you know, glad to be back together, and uh, even if we are under a tent, it's my first time preaching under a tent, so if things don't go well, you know why. But <laughs> let's, uh, let's open in a word of prayer, and then let's dig into to God's word this morning. Father, we are so thankful for the privilege and the, Lord, just the honor we have to gather together. Thank you for your word, and Lord, the fact that you have given us your word so that we can know you. And so, Lord, we, we come before you this morning, and our prayer is that you would be honored and glorified in all that takes place, Lord, and that your word would change and mold us, Lord, that it would change hearts this morning, that I would not be in the way, but Lord, that it would, that your word would be clear. And we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so as, as Scott said, you guys can open your Bibles to Psalms. We've been going through the Psalms this summer, and so, you know, we were doing all the familiar ones, and we thought we'd go with a really obscure one in Psalm 23, all right? One that nobody's heard of, all right? Okay, it's a little sarcasm, a little rough crowd. I might need to have Cameron come up here if things continue to go this way. Seems to be a good help, getting everybody energized. But we're going with Psalm 23. And outside of John 3.16, this might be one of the most well-known passages in all of the Scripture. One of the most quoted, one of the most known. 
And so I pray this morning that God would challenge us in a fresh way because there are times when we read these and it's just like, oh yeah, I've heard that so many times. Oh yeah, I know that psalm. We, we go over it and over it. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. All right, or I lack nothing or there is nothing that I need depending on the version that you were, you're reading. And so David wrote this psalm. We don't know exactly in what stage of life he wrote this psalm, but we do know that David wrote it. And the idea in the picture is one of a shepherd. All right, and so David, being the king of Israel, considers the Lord to be his shepherd. And that's the picture, all right? We don't see a lot of shepherds today in, in Iowa. We, we're surrounded by farms. We know a lot of farmers, people who raise pigs, cows, maybe some sheep. But David is giving us the picture of a shepherd. And a shepherd is what you think he is. Somebody who cares, provides, and takes care of sheep. All right, and so if we're going to understand this psalm, we look at that picture, we understand that the Lord is our shepherd. And if the Lord is our shepherd, that means that we are the what? We're the sheep, all right? And if you have worked in corporate America enough, you have been to meetings, right? And if you've been to meetings, somebody is always in charge of doing an icebreaker, all right? Everybody's favorite part of meetings. The person doing the icebreaker doesn't want to do it, and the people in the room don't want to take part, but you have to because somehow it makes everything better and makes work more enjoyable, all right? At least that's what they say, all right? And if you've been part of an icebreaker very often, you know sooner or later you get to the question, if you could be any kind of animal, what kind of animal would you be and why? All right, and I don't know what kind of business thing they think they're going to discern by asking you that question, but somehow some people think that they can tell a lot about you by the way you answer that. I have been a part of many of those meetings, and guess what animal has never been mentioned as one that they would be? The sheep, all right? No one has ever said, if I could be an animal for one day, oh man, I would be a sheep. That would be so awesome. I could go around. I could eat some grass. There goes my phone. No big deal. (laughs) All right. I could eat some grass. A few hours later, I could eat that same grass again. All right. It would be amazing. I mean, I would be covered in wool. Be, you know, fantastic. I, you know, my, no, there's nothing like amazing about a sheep. All right. People would love to be an eagle so you could soar through the air. Maybe a lion. There's nothing really cool. There's nothing like even intimidating about a sheep, all right? Even geese, if you go around Easter Lake, can hiss at you and somewhat scare you if you're not ready. (laughs) The best a sheep has got is, nobody's scared by that. You laugh when you hear that, right? And so as we look at this and you go through it, I mean, people count sheep to go to sleep, all right? They are comforting. We make blankets and sweaters out of their wool. So none of us, we love sheep, but we don't necessarily desire to be them. But in this picture, as we understand, we are the sheep. All right? And we need to remember that. Even David, as he writes this psalm, being the king of Israel, under God considers himself to be a sheep, equal with everyone else. He's not some kind of special sheep. He's a sheep just like you are a sheep and like I am a sheep in this picture, in this analogy. And as we go through it, that's all we need to to really think of because this psalm 
is not about the sheep. It's about the shepherd. And the Lord is our shepherd. And there is so much in here, all right? And we will get to as much as we can. There, and it, I would encourage you just to continue to read this psalm and to study it. But as we look at it, we see the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And we're going to see three aspects today, what we're going to look at. It's three aspects of what the shepherd does for his sheep. And the first thing you see is that he provides. All right? The first thing you see about the shepherd is that he provides. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures, and he leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. The shepherd provides for his sheep. He says, some of your versions say, the Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. We could just stop there and be blessed. The Lord is my shepherd. I have everything that I need. And that is repeated and reiterated throughout Scripture. 2 Peter 1.3 says that God has given us everything pertaining to life and to godliness through the knowledge of his Son. He has given us all that we need. He doesn't give us all that we want, all right? And sometimes we've got to remember that. Just because I want something doesn't mean I need it. And you are constantly aware of that if you're a parent because your kids are always wanting something that they think they need. And we would like to say that we're way different, but to be honest, we're, we're not. We're always trying to convince God of things that we want, that we say we need, but it's really want. But we, through Jesus, we have all that we need. And only through him do we have all that we need. Because as David wrote this psalm, he wrote looking forward to the coming of the Messiah. We get to read this psalm looking back, knowing that Jesus is the good shepherd. Read John 10, and you know that Jesus is our shepherd. He is the good shepherd. He laid down his life for the sheep. Jesus is a good shepherd, and we have all that we need in him. And so he goes on, the shepherd, and as we think about Jesus being our shepherd, he, it says he he, uh, he makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. And it gives the idea of that he provides for us, right? He, the shepherd provides for the sheep. He leads them to the green pastures where they can eat, all right? They can eat grass. It's peaceful. You get, right, a pasture is peaceful. It's green, full of grass. He's, and the idea is that the shepherd leads and provides physically for what the sheep need brings them to a peaceful pasture. They lie down because they are full. They lie down because they are satisfied with what has been provided for them, and they need the shepherd to lead them there. He also leads them to still waters, or, all right, not, not still waters as in like Easter Lake, still water, like gross, still water, stagnant water, all right, but he leads them to clear, calm water where they can drink and be satisfied. And the shepherd provides for his sheep. And he does that continually. And he provides what we need. And we even see that lived out in the life of Jesus. If you read through Mark 8, when Jesus had already fed the 5,000, but he's, when he feeds the 4,000, it says, we cannot send them away because they are far away. And they, he knew what they needed. And I need to provide food and sustenance for them because he had compassion. The shepherd provides 
for his sheep because he has compassion and love for them. He provides for them physically. He gives peace, all right? And many of us would be happy if that was it, if that's the only thing we needed. But he also provides spiritually. It says, he renews my life and he leads me along the right paths for his name's sake. All right, he restores my soul, leads me in the paths of righteousness. So the idea of restoring the soul is coming. We even talked about this a little bit last week in Psalm 19, verse 7, that the law of the Lord restores or renews my soul. He restores our soul. And the fact that to restore our soul means that we needed to be restored or to return. And the idea carried along with this word in the Hebrew is even repenting and coming back. He restores my soul. He renews it within me. And we need that because why? Sheep are prone to wander. Sheep are prone to go their own way. Right? We, if you are, right, if you have lived long enough in the Christian life, you know that you wander. You know that you go the way that you don't want to sometimes, or the way that you know you should not. He renews life. He restores. This is David who wrote this. This is David who would write in, in Psalm 51 about the Lord renewing his, as he confessed his sin and repented, that the Lord would renew his heart, renew his soul. And so he is praying for that. And this shepherd does that. And um, even the, the idea is um, carried on, even in, and as you look at it in First Peter 2.25, two, uh, let me see if I can get there here, First Peter 2, that we return to our shepherd. And to return to our shepherd, you can't return to a shepherd unless you've gone away. And this is what the shepherd does for us. It says, For you were like sheep going astray, but you have now returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. And that's the idea of restoring. This is what the shepherd does for his children. He restores them spiritually. He brings us back and it says he guides you in paths of righteousness. Why do we need a guide to a path of righteousness? Because we're sinners, right? And if you read Proverbs 14, 12, it says there's a, a way that seems right to a man, but the end of it is death. We often think we know the right way to go, but we don't. We don't go the right way. And sometimes the thing that seems right to us is completely wrong. And so God, our shepherd, Jesus leads us in the path of righteousness. He leads us. He guides us. We need to follow. He is the one leading the way. All right? And the same thing, John 10, when he talks about being the shepherd, he leads his sheep. His sheep follow him and know his voice. He is the one who leads us. And why does he do it? For his namesake. He provides and he leads for his honor, for his glory. And we should be so thankful for that, that it's not because of us and it's not for us. It's for his name, for his honor, and for his glory that he does this. And we'll be super thankful for that when we get to the end of the psalm to understand that. So he provides for us as we see in verse 1 through 3, he provides for us physically, he provides for us spiritually, he provides direction 
in our life, right? We saw that and we, when we went through Psalm 16, that as you follow him, he will guide and direct your path. And that, we wish that maybe it was spelled out even more specifically, sometimes more clearly in our, in our lives, that it was just like, no, if I could read the Bible the right way, it'd tell me exactly what to do each and every day. It does tell us just to follow God, to seek him, to know him through his word. He will lead, and as you follow, you will be blessed. And so this is what the shepherd does. He offers to lead. Not only does he provide, but then we see verse 4, that he, prov- that he protects. All right? He protects. In verse 4, one of the other more famous verses of this psalm, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. All right, and so many of us, if we had our choice, even though we said we probably don't want to be a sheep if we could pick an animal, if we were a sheep, we would like to stay in the pastures in the still water, right? That'd be great. Perfect, you know, like a perfect summer or spring morning, just stay where the grass is green, where the water is calm and cool, and we would love to stay there. But you get the idea in this passage, in this psalm, that this is cyclical. Our life is cyclical. It goes through cycles. It says, in verse 2, it said that he makes us lie down in green pastures, that he does that more than once. He leads us to still waters. It's plural. It's ongoing. And so as part of that, he also leads us through the valley. All right, and this is, some of your versions may say just the darkest valleys. I like the valley of the shadow of death. Does that not sound imposing? Does it paints the picture? If you've read Pilgrim's Progress of the dark, deep valley of despair where Pilgrim met, or Christian met, Apollyon, his enemy, and he was despairing. There were people injured or dead on the sides. It's, it's not a picture of just like, oh, so there's a few shadows, like we have some shadows under the tent. No, it is a dark, deep valley where there is fear if we focus on those things. All right? It is the valley of the shadow of death. And that is part of all of our lives. If you live, you know that there are good times, there's greens, there's pastures, but there are also hard and dark times. And the psalmist says, when I go through those, it's not if I go through a valley of the shadow of death, it's when I go through those. And you may go through multiple in your lifetime. And they will be ongoing. It will be dark, despair, right? When you look throughout God's word, those who follow God experience hard things, difficult times. Even in 2 Corinthians, Paul, in the first chapter, wrote, he said, we despaired of life itself but we put our hope in God. They were despaired. Even the Apostle Paul was to the point of despairing of life, but he put his hope in God. And the psalmist says, when I walk through this valley, this darkness, this deepness, all right, which in, in this time, as they would imagine it, the shepherd and the sheep going through a dark, dark deep valley, where wolves or other animals would hide. And David would know this. He rescued his sheep from a bear and from a lion before. There are enemies. There are hardships and dangers hiding in there. But guess what? 
He says, I will fear no evil. Why? Because he was some kind of super sheep? He could fly away? Or he was somehow blessed with some amazing sheep teeth that could protect him? No. I will fear no evil because you are with me. God's presence is his greatest gift. And he gives it to each of his children. There is no greater presence in this world, no greater gift than to know that God is with you. You may not always feel like it, but that is a promise, right? You're Hebrews 13, 5, I will never leave you or forsake you. When Jesus sent his disciples out in the Great Commission, when he sent them out to go make disciples, to teach and to baptize, what did he say? For I am with you always, even to the end of the age. We, have, we do not have to fear evil, not because of anything that we can do, but because of who we know. God is with us. That is why we can fear no evil. That is why Paul could write, God has not given us the spirit of fear. He has given us love and joy, sound mind, and of power. That is why. Not because of anything that we can do. Not because of any special gifts. Not because of any special strength. But because God is with us and he will watch over his children. That doesn't mean you won't face hard times. You will face hard times. That is a guarantee. But you can rest and trust and know God is with you. The shepherd never takes his sheep anywhere he will not lead them and go before them. The shepherd goes before his sheep. God's presence is a promise, and that is why we don't have to fear evil. So God provides for his sheep. God protects his sheep. And lastly, God pursues. God pursues his sheep. And this, as I studied through this, this was amazing and challenging to me and such an encouragement. And, and there's so much that we could go to in this psalm, and we're not going to get to all of it, but he goes on in verse 5. He says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Again, we see God's, the Lord, we see Jesus providing, preparing a table in the presence of enemies, that, the, that God prepares things beforehand before us. And there's much that could be said about that in anointing our head with oil. And again, we get the picture of, we don't lack anything with God, because he talks about my cup overflowing. All right? And we've talked many times when we went through Ephesians, and you look at Philippians, that God gives according to his riches. He has more than we could ever ask or imagine. He gives according to his riches. He continually gives. We will never lack when we trust in the Lord. And we will never lack his support and his direction, his provision. But as we focus on one last thing, that we're, let's look at verse 6. All right, And sometimes we read that and we say, well, goodness and mercy will follow me. All right, well, and sometimes people read that verse and think, well, 
Is that saying, like, if I'm a Christian, then everything's just going to be good? Goodness, mercy, everything's going to follow, every day's going to be sunny, sun's and ro- sun rosy, everything's going to be fantastic. It's not what it's saying. Sometimes we read that verse, and it seems just like, ah, oh, if you're a Christian, then everything's going to be fantastic. Mercy and goodness will follow you, nothing will ever go wrong. That's not what it's saying. All right, and sometimes we look at the word follow, and we just think of kind of like a, a lackadaisical, just kind of following behind, like at a distance, casually following along. All right, and that's not what this word means. And as I was thinking of this, trying to think through this word, this word is much stronger than that. And some of your versions probably say that. It say goodness and mercy, or goodness and the unfailing love of God pursue you. All right? And, you know, we, we often give Pastor Andy a hard time about his love for wrestling. All right? And, and this might be why I've always hated wrestling, is I got to go to a, a wrestling tournament for, I don't know, for, for two of my friends, the O'Toole, Tony and Louie. We were at a wrestling tournament. I was not wrestling, if you look at me for obvious reasons. I'm not a wrestler, all right? So I was not wrestling, but I was watching them wrestle. And I was bored as we were walking around. This is probably back in the 80s. And so we were talking. They were, it was in between wrestling meets, all this stuff. And we see this guy. He's a big guy. He's a good wrestler, I'm assuming. I don't know. If he wasn't a good wrestler, at least he thought he was because he was strutting like this. And he's walking. And me being not a wrestler, skinny, I didn't know anything to do except for just kind of make fun of him and pretend to walk just like him behind him and laugh. And Tony and Louie are laughing. And it's like, it's all fun and good. We're looking at each other talking. And then all of a sudden, apparently we were not, not good in the stealth department. This guy turns around and he pursued me. All right? He did not pursue me casually. The next thing I know, Louie and I are both up against the wall. Feet not on the ground any longer. So he was strong, and he was a good wrestler. I look at Louie, look at this guy. He's pretty intense. I'm thankful that he's holding two of us because that means both of his hands are occupied. All right? He pursued us, and it was not for our good. Thankfully, there were three of us, and so I think it was Tony. He picked up the headgear. This guy's headgear ran off, and so then he dropped us and chased after him, and we made it out alive, all right? We were thankful. But this, all right, he was going to pursue us till he found us. And he didn't have to go very far because we weren't aware of it. But that's the idea of this word, pursuing. God's goodness and love, his un failing, covenantal love, pursue his children. Not just follow after every once in a while. They track you down. Why? Because he loves you. Is it because of anything you did? No. Remember verse 3 where it says, for his name's sake. That is why he loves you. Because he first loved us. Not because of anything we did, and that has been so amazing to reflect on this week. Because as I think through my life, and even this week, if God's goodness and mercy, his unfailing love was dependent upon what I did, it would not pursue me. All right? God's goodness, his unfailing love will pursue his children until they track us down. 
It will always pursue you all the days of your life. Yes, that love and that goodness may look like discipline in your life at times. But it is always for your good and for your growth. God pursues his children because he loves them and he wants them to grow. He pursues you for your good and your growth and your benefit. And that is a promise. It will follow you all the days of your life until we get to spend eternity with him. And it is not dependent upon anything you do. It is because he loves you. And if you need further proof, Jesus did this for his disciples. In John 16, he talked to his disciples and he said, guess what? I know, and right before John 16, he told Peter that he was going to deny him. And in John 16, at the end, he says, you are all going to run away from me. But I tell you this so that in me, you can have peace. Because he loves them. He wanted their good. He restored them and he brought them back. Not because of anything they did, because it was based on their action. He said, you guys run away, fine, I'll find somebody else. No. He chose them. He laid down his life. He died for you and for me while we were still sinners. Not because of anything you do. It's because he has chosen to love us. And so as we close, just a couple questions. Is Jesus your shepherd? Because if he is just a shepherd, you will find him as your judge at the end of life. And you do not want Jesus to be your judge. You want him to be your shepherd and your counselor and your friend. Jesus laid down his life as the good shepherd for the sheep. He died on the cross so that he could pay for the sins that we could never pay for. And if you do not know Jesus as your shepherd, if you cannot honestly say, Jesus is my shepherd, you need to do that. That is the first thing you must do. Because if he is just a shepherd, he will soon be your judge, and that is not how you want to spend eternity. And then second, for those of you who know Jesus as your shepherd, are you following him? Are you following him? Are you seeking other shepherds? Are you following after other things? Because there are other shepherds that may look good, but they will never provide. You must follow the one shepherd, who is Jesus. Are you finding your all in him? Can you truly say, and can you reflect, because sometimes we pass over that verse so quickly. The Lord is my shepherd, I have all that I need. Are you reflecting on that truth? He has given you everything you need for life and for godliness. He is your shepherd. He is the one that we need. My prayer is that you will be. And even as, as, we, as we go, that, that's, that's how, as you read the end of, of John, that's what Jesus told Peter. Even after Peter denied him, now Jesus restored Peter. Peter was starting to focus on different things. He, there had been reports that John would not die. 
before Jesus came back, or that he wouldn't have to suffer the same way Peter did. And Peter began to ask Jesus about him. And Jesus said, don't worry about that. You follow me. That is our call. Our call is not to focus on other people or focus on different things. It is to follow Jesus Christ. He is our shepherd.